Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So welcome to today's show. Uh, We've got an interesting guest lined up. It's going to be a fantastic discussion with Sam Cockrell from Libertine PLC. Welcome to the show, Sam. Good morning, Ryan. And uh, we're here to talk about uh, all the sort of interesting stuff that you're doing at Libertine and understand a little bit more about your journey and the, the company's journey and you know where, where you're at right now so if we could um if we could kick off by just understanding a bit more about you and and uh, tell us a bit about your background sam sure so i'm a mechanical engineer i started my career making race engines at cosworth uh I, I spent a bit of time working in cambridge for a company called the technology partnership a consumer and industrial product engineering consultancy um i then uh, sort of switched tracks a little bit and went to work for a strategy consulting firm, Bain and Company, uh, oh, wow. in London, uh, and uh, sort of bracketed by two uh, stints at Bain. I was also general manager in my family firm, which is a potato packing, transporting, and processing business, which is a little bit of a departure, but surprisingly relevant for what comes next. Uh, what comes next is I, I um, I'm still a director of my family firm, but uh, I switched into the biofuels industry, recognizing that you know the transition uh, to a more sustainable uh, and kind of more durable and more available energy infrastructure in future is going to require a huge push, technically, uh, from politically and socially over the next few decades, and that was something that I wanted to be involved in. So yeah. I started that uh, at Ensis up on Teesside, uh, the, U- uh, the UK's largest bioethanol producer, and it was whilst I was working for Ensis that I uh, realized that this future world in which we'll have a huge amount of additional renewable resource to uh, to go at and a huge uh, diversity of renewable fuels, it's going to require something new in terms of power converter, power generator technologies, because molecules like ethanol, they really don't play nicely with conventional internal combustion engines, right, that are designed for refinery grade fossil fuels. Uh, and so in future, if we want to make better use and clean use of renewable fuels, something else is required. That's something we think uh, is linear generator technology. And so I formed Libertine in 2009, really to, to, to advance, to bring forward the widespread use of linear generators in a wide range of applications, um, heavy duty powertrains, distributed power and elsewhere. Okay. And th- that, that sort of um, initial, um, you know, leap into engineering, was it, you know, with a growing up with a family business, it sounds quite sort of like there'd be lots of machines and uh, equipment and things like that. Was it was that what gave you an interest in mechanical engineering, or how did you get uh, how did I, you get lured into that? It's interesting. I, I started out actually studying natural sciences and switched into engineering after the first year, and that was a recognition. I think you know after a year of of um, you know very kind of in-depth science, recognizing that the practical aspects of engineering, you know, tangible delivery of physical stuff that moves and changes lives. Uh, I, I really connected with that and the people involved in engineering, you know, I, I saw some similarity there. In my family background, yeah, being brought up, I, you know, 
I, I was the kind of tinkerer that would take engines to bits from time to time. Uh, a lot of people do. There aren't any other engineers in my immediate family. You have to go a long way back to the 1920s until you find um, an engineer called Harry Leach, who was actually the former engineer uh, to Malcolm Campbell for the land speed records. Right, so oh, I'm wow. sort of digging around a bit in history yeah. there. But that is, you know, he, he is the uh, the one bright light of engineering in my family tree. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, good. So, so, so excellent. So you kind of studied it. You you you've done all of these interesting things, and and very clearly. Um, you sort of created Libertine with um, with this view. And I mean, a lot's changed since 2009, and, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but in terms of, you know, the, the world is electrifying, we've we've got an awful lot of stuff happening with electric motors and battery systems and things like that. So you, you fundamentally, you know, you're interested still or believe still that there's a space for um, these kind of combustion technologies in, in, in amongst all of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and more than ever, actually, I think uh, linear generator technology and whether you describe the, the what happens inside a linear generator as, as combustion or, or a reaction, a non-combustion reaction, um, I think the, the process of converting renewable fuels into electrical power in a firm power that you can choose when, when it switches on, when it switches off, that is fundamentally important, not instead of renewable power from, from wind and solar, but to complement it because the nature of renewable power from wind and solar is inherently variable. Uh, and it's that inherent variability. And plus, it's costly to distribute through infrastructure to get it down wires and into a battery. And that cost, the practicality around that, is the reason why clean power from renewable fuels using linear generator technology is a strong complement that will help accelerate battery electrification in all sorts of applications. Of course, if it's possible, economically and practically, to get electrons from a wind turbine or from a solar panel down wires and into a battery, that is best, no doubt, right? That is the least cost, the most efficient way of going about things. But it's for the other times and the other situations where that's not economically possible or practical, where firm, clean power from renewable fuels plays a really important complementary role, because we just haven't got the time to wait for that ubiquitous infrastructure and for the scale of electrification through those other technologies to take place. Mm, yeah, the infrastructure side of things is often overlooked in terms of uh, the length of time it's going to take to develop the grid and the grid assets and things like that. Um, you, you've mentioned so you've, you've used this the term a few times, and um, I'd be helpful, I think. So a linear generator, like what? It, what is a linear generator? <laughs> what is a linear generator? So a linear generator is a category of technology. Uh, a category of power generator, uh, which has the best aspects of fuel cells and conventional internal combustion engines. Um, so in a linear generator, essentially, you have a, a, a fuel and air reaction. Um, it could be called a combustion reaction in certain conditions. But rather than that pushing a piston that pushes a connecting rod, that pushes a crankshaft and all that other mechanical stuff that usually connects a combustion event to the wheels of a vehicle or to a to electrical machine in a generator, package generator. Instead of that mechanical stuff, you have a linear electrical machine and power electronics and controls, essentially able to do exactly the same thing that a crankshaft does, but with the added benefit that now you get to choose. You get to choose the motion profile, the compression ratio, the expansion uh, characteristics and so on. And that choice is fundamentally important because different fuels, uh, different uh, operating points, they require different compression ratios. And with a crankshaft, you just can't easily change that, right? So it's the choice of compression ratio that now is a calibration variable, same as fuel, same as ignition, 
right? The choice of compression ratio in software that can be executed through fast control hardware and, and through engine calibration, which we're good at, by the way, for all those other things in terms of fuel ignition and boost, we can now do that with compression ratio. And that is the fundamental reason why linear generators are way cleaner than conventional engines when it comes to uh, renewable fuels and when it comes to the future applications where linear generators are going to be used alongside battery electrification. Okay, interesting. So, because with a with a conventional engine, piston, crankshaft, etc., like you say, there's always been this trade-off where the the highest efficiency scenario, um, where you gain the most complete combustion, tends to take place under very high pressures. Uh, so, sort of you know, diesel engines or uh, gasoline direct injection. You know, we basically pushing uh, com uh, combustion pressure up and up and up all the time. Um, but that's the, the trade-off sort of negative of that is that under those very high temperatures and pressures is where you get your particulates and your knocks and all the nasty stuff uh, forming. So by going to a linear system, is, is, is that it allows you to get around that uh, problem, basically. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it absolutely does, but, but for a, a fairly technical reason. So what you describe is absolutely right. It's the temperature in particular that's exists at those very high compression ratios that results in the unwanted combustion of the nitrogen and the oxygen in the air. But the temperature arises for two reasons. Firstly, is just the, the compression, and you need the compression ratio for the efficiency. But secondly, there's a layer of temperature on top of that, which is caused by the flame that flies through the chamber if you have you know, combustion with a flame. So the solution is that marries together the high efficiency from high compression ratio without the knocks that you get from, uh, from, from the flame front is to have a, a sort of flameless combustion, a, a very lean homogeneous charge uh, reaction. Uh, and that allows you essentially to have a minimal additional temperature rise on top of the temperature from compression, which then delivers the very high efficiency of these high compression ratios, lean, lean uh, reactions, without the associated knocks. Uh, and you know this has been done. So in the US, for example, there's a company called Mainspring uh, who have commercial product, which is delivering near zero NOx emissions uh, straight out of the uh, reaction chamber, right? That shows this can be done. Now, the downside of that very lean combustion is it's not great for power density because you're not putting so much fuel in with every cycle. Yeah. So there's an interesting prospect here, which is for a sort of hybrid mixed mode uh, system where you have uh, for very small parts of the drive cycle, the ability to go to much higher uh, power outputs with a sort of stoichiometric, uh, more regular combustion uh, event, but for the balance of the uh, of the duty cycle to have that super high efficiency uh, lean combustion that produces very little NOx. Uh, and I think the, the ability to do that in the same device, essentially, it's a bit like having a petrol engine and a not even diesel engine, but, you know, an HCCI engine under the bonnet at the same time. These are the same devices because software allows you to choose compression ratio as an operating point rather than committing uh, to the compression ratio through a crankshaft and connecting rod. Okay. And and using these as a generator, then is, is that an advantage as well in terms of, because in, in the past, a lot of engine technologies that have showed promise where they've been directly connected to the wheels, um, you know, they, they sort of, they fall over because they don't like transient operation and, and they don't like being sort of operated outside of the sweet spot. Your your system fundamentally 
can't be anything other than a generator. But presumably that allows you to get some advantages in terms of running it in its in its sweet spot all the time and, and not kind of going uh, dipping into other areas where it may maybe wouldn't be operating quite as well. So so does that does the hybridization element and the and the fact that it is a a, a sort of a generator from the get go is that is that part of the the sort of story of uh, you know I mean it, for, you know, for kind of it fundamentally wouldn't work if it wasn't a generator because that's the whole point. But like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really good point. It's not it's not just an attribute of linear generators. This is one of the payoffs of series hybridization, right? Mm. And, and this is. This is really illustrated well uh, in Japan, for example, where Nissan have one of the best-selling vehicles in Japan, the powertrain, the, the uh, e-power powertrain, which is a series hybrid powertrain. It doesn't plug in. It just has a really small battery and a about a 60-kilowatt conventional uh, internal combustion engine. I say conventional. It's really finely optimized around doing its it's one job really well, which is just to produce 60 kilowatts of power whenever the powertrain control unit says so. Yeah. And by removing this constraint, this, this constraint imposed by a connection to the wheels, which in a conventional engine says, you know, whatever the road speed is, that's what the, that's what speed the engine has to do. The only choice you have is the gear you're in. But the transient, you know, the engine is flung around by the, this road load, this road speed constraint. And that is a disaster for, um, it, you know, for the efficiency and the emissions of what you could otherwise be doing. And that is the benefit. That's one of the payoffs of series hybridization, which has allowed, in that case, I mentioned Nissan to sharply optimize a range extender for that new use case. Now, why that's relevant to linear generators is with a linear generator, you've got an additional optimization variable, an additional calibration variable, which is you get to choose the compression ratio every for every stroke. So when it comes to how sharply can you optimize, how, how good can this device be in this series hybrid role? And, and you know, linear generator can't do anything else. It cannot produce torque. It can only yep. produce electrical power. But the ability to sharply optimize the linear generator to produce at one operating point, you know, super low NOx, super high efficiency, uh, clean power from whatever renewable fuel you're putting into it, and at another operating point, producing uh, short periods of peak power output where it's absolutely required. That, I think, is the, uh, the prize for linear generators and why, provided we're using fossil-free fuels, uh, these have a really important complementary role to play in hybrid powertrains alongside battery electrification. So, so would you see these being deployed in kind of mobile, you know, applications in, in vehicles or more kind of stationary power? Uh, what, what, what's, your, what's your kind of target market that you're really going for? Um, I, I think both applications have merit, right? I think it really depends on where uh, the, that, this direct electrification path wind turbines and, and solar panels through the grid into the battery to the wheels, where that's not economically viable or practical. So there are use cases, for example, in uh, off-highway applications, construction, mining, forestry, agriculture, where you're just a long way from the grid and it's not going to work if you're relying just on battery electrification. Mm. Uh, there are other cases where for different reasons, you know, parts of really high growth parts of, of Asia and India, for example, where uh, battery electrification alone uh, doesn't work so well economically and practically because the grid power is largely uh, largely from coal. Yeah. Uh, and there are other situations as well where that applies. Um, distributed static power generation, of course, that's a, uh, that's a really important use case. And in fact, the company I mentioned in the US, Mainspring, uh, that is their principal target use case because the economic benefits there are just manifest. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, so if we we kind of roll back a little bit, um, 
So you set the company up in 2009, you, you, uh, you said. Um, how did it start? You know, was it a discussion down the pub or, you know, what, where, where did that seed of an idea come from? Well, so as I say, I was working for Ensys and, you know, we, we were having policy discussions and discussions with vehicle manufacturers about ethanol blending and how much ethanol we could ever expect to get into the gasoline mix in Europe and in the UK. And, you know, as you might know, in the UK, we have 10% by volume ethanol blended away uh, with petrol. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a useful amount, but it's tiny. I mean, we need to get we need to get rid of all fossil fuels from transport. And a lot of that in the UK is going to happen from electrification, but in trucks, not so much. My family firm, where I worked for three years, has a, a heavy duty transport fleet. I mean, it's about average for the UK, I guess. It has about 15 trucks and they're all diesel trucks. And every three years we lease another new trucks. And every time we make a purchase decision to buy another set of trucks, that purchase decision lingers in the fleet for you know 15 or 20 years. The, the, the persistence of diesel in the transport fleet in the UK uh, makes it, you know, it, th those trucks are now going to be in use pretty close to 2050, right? It's, uh, it's not so far away. Yeah. So we really have to get on the case with decarbonizing heavy duty powertrains for operators like my, like my family firm. And, you know, so we, we could be using electric trucks, but we couldn't use them economically because of the impact of uh, the, the, you know, the battery and charging constraints on payload and productivity of the vehicles. It just doesn't work for general uh, six axle, 44 ton gross haulage in the UK or, or anywhere. Just the, you know, the mechanics of that mm. means it's impossible to make that work economically. Um, a hybrid truck using some battery for you know, much, of the, much of the daily use, but using an onboard power generator for the rest, that would work. That would work for us economically. Yeah. Uh, and what we're trying to do at Libertine is to help realize that kind of powertrain for companies like my family firm uh, mm -hmm. in the course of the next decade. So the seed of the idea when I was at Ensys came from this frustration, at the lack of sort of ambition and the lack of pace using renewable fuels that we have and which we'll continue to have uh, you know, in increasing quantities and in an increasing diversity, not just ethanol, but you know, methanol made from synthesized from wind, green hydrogen, biogas, syngas. There's a really broad church of renewable fuels that will play a role in a future net zero grid. And we've got to make sure that we can use them to best effect because they are scarce and precious. And you know, it's going to be more expensive to generate power from renewable fuels than just to generate power when possible. Uh, directly from wind and solar. So we've got to make sure that the power generators are fit for purpose. Now, a linear generator is a great way of doing that, but people have been trying for some time. Uh, and you know, to date, there, there is a company, as I mentioned in the US, that have a commercial product, but almost none. Are, you know, there's almost nothing aside from that. And the reason is the piston motion control and the conversion of electrical power from the, the electrical machine into you know, onto the, the bus of the vehicle that hasn't been possible with tech, with available technologies until relatively recently when advances in power electronics and advances in uh, kind of control hardware have have sort of joined together with advances uh, in electrical machine design and simulation and in combination this now allows this whole connected set of technologies to deliver piston motion control as if there was a crankshaft and that fundamentally is what libertine is doing what libertine is delivering through our technology platform so I'm going to I'm going to kind of go back a few steps on that. So the the in terms of the truck um like battery electric vehicles and and that that kind of that sort of story. And I think what you're saying there you know obviously in the market there's lots of people that have, have 
have recognized that um and and i think there's there's going to be some debate right in terms of battery electric trucks kind of can do some stuff but not other stuff but then the the conventional solution so what most people are thinking of in terms of the the line of sight is ah well in the other stuff i'm going to implement a fuel cell system um uh, so you've got you know mo most of the big truck companies working on uh fuel cell electric uh variants for the longer longer distance so is is effectively what you're saying is that you would propose a free piston um, or a, a linear generator, sorry, instead of um, a fuel cell system? Or do you, do you see it as something that's kind of complementary to that? Um, and, and and how do you stack up against a, a fuel cell system? Because, I, I mean, fuel cells in theory are great. And, I, and I, I am, although some people think I don't like fuel cells, but I do like fuel cells. Um, they're quite complicated to make work properly, you know, um, and and they can be quite hard to uh, keep going reliably for, for for the right sort of time. I'll be answering a question for you here, so I should probably shut up. But where where is it? Are you saying this is an, a, an, a direct alternative to fuel cells, or is it an, in addition to? Are there some circumstances where you might go for a linear generator instead of a fuel? Okay. Yeah, I, I I'm not going to position myself as an expert on fuel cells. Um, if I sit in my you know put my family firm hat back on. We could go out there and and buy a fuel cell truck, right? And I think uh, the there are things that are close to market that would do that. Uh, we could not make those work today, and the reason is there's just not not the infrastructure out there uh, mm -hmm. for us to roll around recharging, refueling with hydrogen as the trucks need to. I mean, we we have a thirty six thousand liter diesel tank on site. I can't imagine we're going to have a corresponding you know hydrogen refueling tank on. Uh, and filling station on site that that's an expense in uh, you know in its own right and fuel cell trucks are pretty expensive as well so from a practicality and an economic perspective well maybe but the detractors of uh, the fuel cell uh, the you know fuel cell uh, proposition uh, might say well why why go to hydrogen when you could have for the same electrons coming out of the wind turbine or the, the solar panel, you can have more miles because you do. You know, there's a there's definitely a loss in converting to green hydrogen. Now, you might say, well, you can make hydrogen when there's not the demand for all of that. You know, if you have a supply yeah. and demand thing, maybe there's a balancing role there. But the challenge is there will be times where it's just better, it's practical, it's more economic to use direct battery electrification. And the challenge, the fundamental challenge with a fuel cell as a powertrain proposition, I think, is they are really expensive, so it's either or, right? There are no examples of a truck that has, you know, half a megawatt hour of battery capacity and a little fuel cell, right? That might be quite interesting because then you'd be able to do, you know, a couple hundred miles on battery and then use the fuel cell to keep sort of managing the range and managing mm -hmm. the availability. But to my knowledge, there are no uh, propositions that go down that route because the battery is pretty expensive and the fuel cell is really expensive. And you put those two things together, it you know, the economics then uh, start to get challenged just by the capital cost. Yeah. Now with a linear generator, if you can get something like the fuel cells efficiency, but something like the conventional IC engines uh, cost point and durability, that series hybrid solution now looks practical, right? And, and that's a benefit because the cost of the truck is less to the operator. And you've also got the, the, the ability, you know, where it's economically uh, op optimal to use power from the grid and to roll around, as I say, for those first couple of hundred miles. Uh, and that might be enough in, on some days, but to take our family firm's use cases, for example, you know, sometimes we're just rolling over the Pennines to Manchester and back, and that's a fairly short route, right? Sometimes we're going down to Cornwall for early potatoes. Sometimes we're going up to Scotland for seed potatoes. 
there's a lot of driving. And typically at the end of both of those legs, the driver is taking their driver's hours break on a farm site, you know, miles from any prospect of three-phase power or fast charging infrastructure. So, you know, battery electrification, not sure. Yeah. Okay. So there's effectively, you you, you are saying that um, the imp- Again, it's an infrastructure thing where, because interestingly, actually, a lot of the argument for fuel cells is it's an easier infrastructure deployment to put down a fuel cell system. And I, and, and I've, I've made this argument myself that, you know, if you want to do a battery electric fleet of 300 trucks, uh, it's quite difficult if they're all operating out at the same depot because of the grid infrastructure that you're going to need. So there, that in that situation, fuel cells make sense because, um, you know, you, you don't have to do all the grid upgrades and stuff. But actually, you're, you're kind of, really taking that argument a step further again and saying, look, if you used uh, linear generator technology, you would be able to have an even lower cost, faster infrastructure deployment um, and more flexibility in terms of the, the fuel that you use. Um, and, and you could get, you could get going with that. Is that basically in a nutshell, that would, that's sort of, if that's it. And it's cheaper yeah, than I, fuel cells. I, I think so. But, but again, I, you know, I, I, I don't position myself as a fuel cell expert and also mm. I, I don't subscribe to the idea that we're going to have this this sort of great big gladiatorial contest between all these different technologies and then one shiny technology is going to emerge as the winner uh, and i think sometimes we're, we're conditioned to think in that in that way in that sort of you know the, the classic beta max versus vhs nobody wants to be the one that picks the wrong technology but in yeah. practice the 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 manufacturers that we're talking to and the manufacturers we're working with recognize the future is going to involve a, a portfolio of technologies and the reason that, that there's a portfolio of technologies is that, that there is a diversity of need the need marries together you know the energy resources which are distributed and variable and yep. the energy services which are all over the place right yeah and you can, connecting those together with just one magic silver bullet that seems unlikely right yep. that's a pretty high burden of proof if someone's going to say my technology works and is the only technology that's required you know i don't buy that and so are, are you able to you know, with with a linear generator, can you give some flexibility in terms of the, the different the fuel used? Uh, I, I mean, I dare not say it hardly, but can you run on diesel? <laughs> Is it- we could. We've, we've we've done. I mean, we've we've done uh, combustion testing with our partner Marla Powertrain, um, yeah. and we deliberately used hydrous bioethanol in that case, okay. uh, in part because it's a fairly tricky fuel to use. It's you know, it's a renewable fuel. It's fairly tricky. It has a really high heat of vaporization, but it's also it's not a fossil fuel, right? So yeah. Yeah. this would have you know, optically that's just a good place to start. Yeah. But you know, we recognise practically if we want to get transport operators like my family firm buying trucks with a new powertrain before the end of this decade, that's only going to happen if those trucks are compatible with the fuels and the energy, you know, the energy infrastructure that's on the forecourts. Mm. So that probably means that those trucks are going to be compatible with either, you know, diesel or maybe compressed natural gas. CNG is interesting. Um, we, in the UK, we have several tens, maybe a hundred or so compressed natural gas filling stations. So yeah. as a transport operator, we know that would work. And if you had a truck that could use compressed natural gas and a decade from now, that same truck could use uh, green hydrogen alongside its onboard battery capacity well you know that would be quite interesting because that would give an economic reason to adopt those low carbon trucks yeah which over the lifetime of the trucks in the fleet will become zero carbon trucks as the cng is phased out or maybe displaced with renewable natural gas you know made from biogas who knows yeah. which way that's going to go but if as long as we're not locking in to fossil fuels with every new truck that's sold this decade then there's a path through this Okay, uh, I got a couple of questions come out of that. So, so what, like one one thing that immediately comes to mind, uh, one of the issues with 
CNG uh, power for, for commercial vehicle, well, for any vehicle, but uh, is that the, when you have incomplete combustion of the gas, um, you end up with um, basically hydrocarbon byproducts coming out. I, th I think the term they use something like methane slip. Um, yep. And that's quite a bad uh, thing. And I, I know part of that's connected to transient operation. Um, so, so maybe you, you just immediately get around that, but is if you were, if you're running on uh, a natural gas or a methane or something like that, is your system, you know, dealing with that combustion better? So you're not getting things like that coming out, you know, so as, as well as, because it, cause it's not just the NOx and the sort of particulate emissions that are an issue. It's also, you know, um, hydrocarbon emissions as well, which... Yeah, it's, it's a really important point. I mean, look, Libertine is is not the combustion developer. Um, we, we make our linear electrical machine and control platform, and we put this into the hands of really capable combustion developers, companies like Marla Powertrain, for example, uh, who set to work making sure that, you know, if we're running off CNG, that can be done cleanly with... Uh, little to no uh, methane slip, right? And similarly, very much focused on NOx emissions and combustion efficiency. So as a company, what we're trying to do is to provide the best possible means to combustion developers and combustion product developers or you know, linear generators, uh, whether you call it combustion or not, we want to make that journey to product uh, as, you know, as effective as possible, as fast, as low risk as possible, because we've provided this, this starting point, this foundation of, you get piston motion control and you can do it as if the crankshaft was there, but now this is a calibration variable. That's the starting point. So in the hands of capable combustion and combustion engine product developers, the OEMs out there, we think that's a really compelling way to get into this new category of linear generators fast. Right. Okay. So when you, when you set the business up, uh, it must've been quite difficult, you know, there's sort of coming along, you've got what's quite a radically different concept or, uh, well, in, in lots of ways, you know, a linear generator is, is they're not new as such, but they're also not commonplace, you know, not particularly well understood that there aren't lots of examples in industry of, of linear generators. So a good linear generators as a thing is, it, you know, is required. Plus the, you know, the, the engine end of it, you know, you've got very different engine concepts um, in terms of how you're, how you're actually managing that. What was it like to try and launch that? Well, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I formed Libertine after having spent the best part of a decade uh, doing, you know, not engineering, or at least not obvious engineering. Engineering is, is I, I think, actually a discipline for solving problems, solving tricky problems by, you know, clearly setting out these are the objectives, these are the constraints, these are the resources, bringing it all to bear, coming up with yeah. a solution that creates value from that. Now, you can do that whether or not you're making you know, bits of metal and products. You can do that in all sorts of industries. And this is why engineers and engineering is so valuable, not just in, in manufacturing and product design, but in all other walks of life. Um, linear generators, so, so you know, I, I, when I formed Libertine, I actually reached out to someone I worked with at Cosworth, Ed Haynes, who at the time was working uh, with Williams. Uh, and Ed essentially was the, the kind of uh, the, the more seasoned engineering head who gave credibility to this idea that we could do this right and and the reason it's tricky the reason linear generators are tricky is it combines a whole bunch of engineering 
uh, and you know, physical disciplines as mechanical, elect uh, mechanical engineering, electrical, magnetics, thermal, uh, control hardware, control software. Uh, and you know, no one person is a deep expert across all of those. So mm. the challenge and, and the trick, if you like, is to bring together those, those sector experts, but to make sure that the people you have on board also have some visibility of how it all connects together. Because in the past, where linear generated development is typically tripped up is where you know, you've had discrete, really good solutions, which chuck them all together, the system stability and the, the system performance really doesn't fly. And I think one of the things that Libertine has set out to do well is that level of system integration, that level of system optimization, focused on what the end product, the end user requirements and objectives are, right? So for a truck operator, you want the truck to be able to run profitably through the day. In distributed power generation, you need the best levelized cost of energy. And, and those have slightly different engineering solutions, which flow right the way through the choices you make so far as your mechanical, electrical, magnetic, thermal, and control engineering development processes go. So what we've tried to do is to sort of spread ourselves not too thinly, but to spread ourselves from end to end across that kind of problem space and to bring in the depth and the quality of the detail engineering, the very specific uh, sector expertise that we need yeah. uh, to, to bridge that whole gap. And, and did you find, uh, I mean, because in 2009, people were struggling even with the concept of a hybrid or an or electric vehicle, you know, it's sort of early days of the industry full stop. Did, did you find people were receptive to this sort of new idea and you went to talk to an, an OEM or I mean a tier one or sort of company like Marlin where they kind of, Oh, that's a great idea. Why didn't we think of that one before? Or did you get a few kind of scratching your heads? Or I, I actually remember, and I do tell this story. I remember getting thrown out of an OEM once uh, <laughs> for trying to, I was trying to convince them basically they, they should be looking at electrification in their products and how it would make their products more efficient and talking about the future and the more sort of future proof and you know and and basically the um, the chief engineer of that particular area was sort of no not interested it's going to make it more expensive uh we're only interested in getting cost out see you later and uh and that was it uh, you know so back and that was probably around the 2009 time actually um so you know and, and I, I think that the, the sort of things I was talking about were, I don't know, in some ways easier to swallow concepts, but in, in other ways, maybe the the fact that you were proposing a different sort of engine, maybe, how was it received, basically? I, I would divide the last decade and a bit. I mean, Libertine's almost 13 years old now, and I'd divide that period into, into two. In the first half of that period, if you cast your mind back, you know, electric vehicles were still in their infancy, and there was... Uh, kind of uncertainty amongst manufacturers about whether the future was going to be pure electric powertrains everywhere or something else. Uh, wind and solar hadn't dropped to the cost that they're now at. And there's uncertainty about how fast and you know, what the pace of decarbonization on the grid might look like. So I think at that stage, there was a, a sort of genuine and sincere hunt on for alternative powertrain technologies, better, you know, more efficient engine technologies and, and so on. Um, and, and, you know, we see manufacturers and, and uh, universities joining that hunt. We see you know, in Germany, linear generated development, same as in the US, same as in, you know, uh, uh, in all sorts of places, in all sorts of con you know, all, all continents, uh, linear generated development was, was a uh, feature. Yeah. After about 2014, 15, that really started to coalesce. Uh, and you know, the, the 
passenger market, passenger automotive market has been hugely disrupted by Tesla and by the response to Tesla. And I think that's changed people's perceptions of the art of the possible, how fast things can change. Mm. And about the, the kind of the certainty that for passenger automotive, things are, in the UK at least, moving sort of inexorably towards full battery electrification. Yeah. And I think with that realization, the appetite for uh, automotive OEMs to contemplate serious hybridization, different you know, alternative onboard uh, thermal power generation technologies, that's really waned. So yeah. uh, we've, we've definitely kind of reflected on that, which is why we're focused just on those use cases, just on those applications where there is a genuine and persistent need uh, for thermal power generation to complement battery electrification, rather than those cases like passenger automotive uh, applications where in, in many markets, uh, you know, the, the understood path, the expected path is going to be towards uh, an increasing share and maybe a full share of battery electrification in, in due course. Now, what that's meant is in the last, you know, in the course of the last five or six years, um, in addition to that market focus, we've also had to be really specific in the type of OEMs that we work with, the type of uh, you know, manufacturers uh, that we work with, because um, another aspect of the, that early period of sort of you know, 2010, 2015 is manufacturers typically were looking to develop those strategic thermal engine technologies themselves. There was little in the way of you know, scouting for alternative, scouting for external innovation, bringing it in. Bringing it in. Yeah. Uh, now, I think we see a, an increasing appetite amongst uh, OEMs to um, deliberately go out and scout for technologies that will play a role in this portfolio of technologies for uh, heavy-duty powertrains and distributed power generation in future. So for us, uh, at Libertine, you know, we, we, we deliberately look for OEMs to have that mindset, the portfolio technology approach and a structured approach to how they stage gate and filter technologies into that internal product development track. Okay, yeah, interesting. So, um, so, so there was, you know, you've managed to get some commercial traction in that you've, and you've got, there are OEMs that you're working with or people that are looking at this, this technology fairly seriously um, for applications. It, is is what you've sort of touched on commercial vehicles and trucks a bit are there other applications so you know one that's been talked about to me quite a bit uh it's been kind of refrigerated transport containers and things like that and those sort of smaller auxiliary engines is you know what what's what's the scope of the applications that you're you're dealing with um in in that side yeah it's a good point i mean the, those um, tru's as they're called the transport refrigeration units uh, are these these foul little dirty diesel engines that sit on the back of refrigerated box fans and we have a couple of them in our own fleet at uh, in my family firm uh, and they have been largely unregulated for most of their dirty existence and and that's going to change so cleaner transport refrigeration is now recognized as another imperative the nice thing about linear generators is they are inherently a modular technology right? so the unit that we're developing at the moment um, the the cylinder unit uh, which will be on test with Marla Powertrain uh, later this year is about 60 kilowatts of electrical power. And um, so you can buddy that together in a two cylinder pack for 120 kilowatts, but a single cylinder generating 60 kilowatts, that's a pretty good match for a, a transport refrigeration unit. And in fact, when we, when we first laid out the kind of the length and the, and the depth, we, we actually sort of held this up against some of the most uh, widespread transport refrigeration units to make sure that you know that package would fit in that space because uh, you know I think that would be a really nice uh, early early application where this could really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And in terms of the other bits of your technology, 
um, I, I mentioned before, the sort of linear electric machines is not a, you know, that that's a, that's a really interesting space in itself for sort of actuation purposes and, and other kind of control purposes. Is that an area of the business that you kind of um, play with or, or you, you know, is it really just full systems that you're looking at? Well, yeah, so so we, we've, we've developed a platform. Uh, we've cut our teeth developing electrical machines and controls for a wide range of applications. So, you know, initially we were doing university projects where a the, the platform was used for uh, waste heat recovery in, in something called an organic ranking cycle um, for some technical reasons. So piston expander works really well there and being able to control piston motion is very valuable in the same way as it is in a, an internal combustion engine. Uh, yeah. We've also put our technology into a hydrogen hydrogen compressor. So we do some work with uh, Southwest Research in the, U, in the US and in hydrogen compression in fact in any gas compression you know the ability to change the speed of the translator of the mover the, the piston as it's going through the compression uh, stroke and then through the suction stroke that's really valuable because all the losses in, in a in the compression process happen in a certain part of the cycle and you can dial those losses down if you can control the speed in those parts of the cycle uh, we've also done work with anthony best dynamics um, so anthony best dynamics make automotive test systems and um, we worked with them uh, in 2016 I think until 2018 helping them to create a really sort of high dynamic test actuator so that vehicle manufacturers could sort of buzz uh, vehicle subsystems you know quarter vehicle they could buzz it as if it was driving around the track in Millbrook and by, by doing that you can identify you can validate your noise and vibration models so that you can have greater confidence that your vehicle will have a really refined uh, driving experience in a quiet cabin before you've you've got through all of the, the rest of the tooling because until you know unless you can emulate the that road buzz um you 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 know you you have to just wait until you've got the whole vehicle before you can validate your models and, mm. and that's not really that's not really great because it means that correcting anything at that stage is really expensive so anthony best dynamics uh, we worked with for a couple of years and and we then licensed our technology to them to help them do exactly that. Now that process, and you know, that's cast around a bit because we've done ranking cycles and uh, yep. hydrogen compressors and, and high dynamic actuators. But what they all have in common is a high performance, you know, high amount of force per unit moving mass, high performance electrical machine, yep. plus power electronics and motion control. So it's through that that we've we've developed the the sort of the language and the this this conceptual process of dividing up the platform into each of the elements so we can tackle the each of these physical engineering problems mechanical electrical magnetic thermal control and so on yeah and we've done that time and time again in those applications and we're now bringing that all together for the applications where we think there is huge impact socially you know environmentally uh, and economically we think there's huge impact that the uh, more widespread use of linear generators could have uh, in all sorts of applications, starting with heavy duty vehicles, of course, starting with distributed power generation, but the technology is scalable, it's modular, it can go down in size into all sorts of applications you maybe wouldn't think of, uh, potentially even in um, you know, small scale combined heat and power systems for, for homes and businesses. I mean, who knows, the, the, the future is rich with opportunity. Yeah, probably a side question, maybe a distraction from the main topic, but one big area that is um, sort of problematic um, is in uh, sort of linear actuation and, and particularly hydraulic actuation of systems. So looking at off-highway machinery, the predominant uh, sort of method of moving the, the limbs and implements around an off-highway machine is hydraulic. And that, you know, hydraulic cylinders moved by hydraulic pumps and things. And, and those systems are, are pretty good, but then um, that 
causes you some issues when you're trying to electrify those machines and things like that. Do you think um, that your your technology could potentially, um, you know, replace hydraulic actuators in in some applications? Uh, that's not a target for us. I mean, there there is some interesting work at Sheffield University that's been looking at a certain type of linear actuator that can match the force density of of hydraulics. Um, but I think a related benefit with series hybridization using linear generators in those sorts of off-highway applications, agriculture in particular, is uh, you can greatly simplify the, 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 the kind of the, the powertrain and the power offtake systems. Because if we look at, you know, my family firm also has a farming operation. You look at the, you look around it, you know, typical tractor and you've got, you know, electrical power offtake, you've got hydraulic power offtake, you've got a uh, uh, mechanical PTO shaft. There's there's just all of this stuff. This is just the back end of a tractor is really messy. It's bristling with all of these different types of interface yeah. because different implements require different things. If you have a series hybrid tractor that just has a 800 volt DC bus, there's a, there's a lot you can do with that. Uh, and it goes further. So when you when you look at the, the sort of weird sprayers that are rolling around fields at certain times of year, they need a lot of ground clearance so they don't kind of touch and, and impact the crop. So typically they get that ground clearance by having these hydraulic wheel motors. And then, you know, that means that the, the wheels, uh, you know, the, the, the chassis and everything else sits a long way above the wheels. Uh, you could do better than hydraulic systems there because they're really inefficient. And, you know, you can achieve the same thing with electrification. So I think the future in agriculture could be really exciting, especially as we start to see agriculture equipment become more autonomous, which allows it to shrink in scale because you don't have the cost of a driver. Uh, and in future, you know, who knows, we might see swarms of agricultural vehicles about the size of a quad bike mm. powered by linear generators running off biogas or you know meth biomethanol or something else produced from agricultural wastes and residues yeah. uh, and and that's really exciting because then we can genuinely see a path to agriculture also becoming you know fossil free entirely renewable mm. uh, powered uh, using clean power from renewable fuels and yeah i i, I like that kind of concept um one one thing I, I missed this question earlier actually again so uh, it is it's more on topic than the uh, linear actuator bit but uh, you, you mentioned almost no emissions um, are, are are you having to use sort of after treatment um, on the engines or, or or is it at the point where you really actually don't require after treatment uh, I know I know you're probably not in the power range you know but how do you stand from that point of view? You know, what's the need for after treatment or, or not? Well, as I say, we're, we're not combustion developers. So we, we're providing the platform to combustion developers like Marla Powertrain, who will be focused very much on you know, nitrous oxide emissions, for, for example. Um, now, whether a linear generator requires in the field after treatment to bring down uh, NOx emissions or other emissions to meet future regulation uh, requirements, Euro 7, I think, will be soon upon us. Um, you know that I think the our, ex, our expectation is that the after treatment cost for a linear generator is going to be less than the after treatment cost for a conventional engine doing the same job, just because the control that's available for reducing the emission species that are produced is are naturally better. You know, we've got more calibration means. We've got a wider calibration space for dialing down those emissions before after treatment. So the requirement for after treatment can then get you know, correspondingly lower. And Euro 7 could be adding thousands of uh, dollars or euros or pounds, you know, thousands uh, of, of pounds to the cost of a typical truck 
because the requirements are so stringent and we shouldn't overlook that. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not an inconvenience. It is a necessary fact. We must protect their quality. We must protect uh, through regulation and through uh, the engineering of solutions. We must yeah. protect the air quality and the consequence of, uh, of those harmful emissions. Yeah, I know, I know the, the cost of implementing after treatment systems, particularly on like compact off highway equipment and things, it's it's uh, vastly disproportionate to the cost of the the base uh, vehicles uh, and and a very expensive part of a commercial vehicle um, setup. So yeah, yeah, it's it, it's also the case though that the the impact of exhaust emissions is different depending on you know where you are. If, if you're within a tight urban environment. Uh, you really don't want anything producing, you know, material nitrous oxide or, or, or you know, hydrocarbon emissions there uh, because of the tendency to, for those emissions to build up. So, you know, construction equipment in the middle of London, that should be zero emission battery electric construction equipment or fuel cell, uh, fuel cell equipment. Um, when you then get further outside uh, those compact urban areas, uh, actually the, 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 you know, the, the constraints change and the, the impact of emissions uh, from the exhaust from the uh, tailpipe change. So I think in future, it'd be nice to see a recognition of that differentiation in how regulation is, is applied. Uh, and I think if we do see serious hybridization of trucks and buses, uh, you could well imagine a sort of geofenced operation where you only operate off the battery in those tight, dense urban areas. And then the onboard power generator, the thermal power generator, whether it's a fuel cell, a linear generator or something else, that comes to bear only when you're outside of those you know, uh, those very tightly regulated urban areas. Uh, and we, we'd see some companies already who are thinking in those terms, you know, geofencing and uh, deliberately managing the state of charge in order to be able to operate on battery in urban areas and then using onboard power generation elsewhere. Okay. So, so sort of moving on a little bit in terms of the business side of things, you've, you've done um, a quite, quite a special thing in terms of... Um, you know, you, you set the company up, you grew it, um, you know, as, a, as an SME with with investment, with private investment, things like that. But then you've you floated the company um, on the AIM stock market, which f for a tech business is, you know, it's quite a hard thing to do, um, particularly where you're in the development phase and you're, you know, you're investing in R&D and things like that. So can you can you just tell us a little bit about what the, what the motivation behind the listing was and and what that what that process was like um, and and what has changed in the business yeah so so we, we had a successful listing uh, at the end of last year um, and you know that in part reflects the stage that we're at in the journey we're getting real commercial traction now we've got technology that uh, demonstrably performs uh, and we're ready to scale the business um, and I think the the success of the aim listing reflected that. Um, I think, you know, aim listings are, uh, it's not something I've done before, but our CFO has. And so we've got a great team inside the company that, uh, you know, had the capability to do a successful aim listing and has the capability to successfully execute on our, on our plan. Uh, we also, of course, have uh, the benefit of strong strategic investors, um, the uh, the kind of you know the vision of our lead investors on the aim listing uh, they share our view of the role of these hard technologies in the coming uh, transition right and and you know you can't succeed in any kind of investment journey without investors that share the vision that share the conviction of the of the management team and of the company uh, so we were fortunate to be able to to establish that uh, that fit right and and has it changed you know has it changed the, your life in terms of now being 
uh, the CEO of a, a publicly listed company compared to a, a private business? What's... Oh, hugely, and and in every way, every positive way imaginable, right? So, firstly, uh, before aim listing, uh, for a company like Libertine, we're always hungry for investment. So, my a lot of my role prior to uh, the aim listing was sort of almost on an annual basis, going through the cycle of updating the plan, talking to investors, getting another tranche of a few hundred thousand pounds in, and that's really time consuming. And you know, we've done that yep. year after year after year. And the real cost of that process is that whilst you know the company, whilst I'm and the senior team are doing that type of fundraising, uh, that costs the attention that we can otherwise apply to executing, to to making progress with the customers, to making yeah. progress with the technology. So post aim listing, and of course, you know there is a necessary uh, level of uh, kind of you know um, uh, reporting of compliance and so on, uh, which is absolutely right, uh, but that's very well understood and. So we have a, a you know, really strong uh, team of, of advisors and a really strong CFO to help manage that. And that's meant that my time and the time of the, the rest of the senior team has been freed up essentially to focus on execution. And, uh, and we, as I said, we raised nine million pounds gross. Uh, we're now applying that. It's small, it's small relative to the kind of funds that are being raised in the US by Linear Generator. Uh, uh, you know, the, the business I mentioned, uh, Mainspring, who in fact just this week closed another $150 million, good for them. Wow. Uh, so we are a, we're a, a sort of different, we're at a different scale, different order of magnitude, but we're developing a platform technology and we've raised nine million pounds yep. gross. We can, we can get on and execute. This is, I mean, this you sort of make an interesting point there. Not, I'm not really the topic of this podcast, but it's often a problem in the UK with companies developing hard technology, uh, hardware technology, um, that the quantum of investment available, you know, is is a fraction compared to other uh, other areas, particularly the US and, and Asia. Um, you know, how how do you compete against that? You know, you've you've got a tenth or a fifteenth of of, of their uh, the amount of cash that they've got to play with. Um, are you just far more efficient with how you're deploying it, or are are you just, you know, are they going to be a ten billion dollar business and you're going to be a billion dollar business, or you know, well, how how does that work? Like, do you see it as a problem for the UK, and 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 very particularly in your context, is it is it a challenge for you? Um, it's it's different, right? So we're we're not aiming to be a a company like the one that I mentioned, like Mainspring, mm -hmm. because we're we're in a different funding environment, different market environment. So for us, we have to make sure that we are focused on doing what we do best, which has the greatest additionality for the sums that we've raised, for the you know the the uh, the, the scale of cash that we've uh, we've got at our disposal now. Uh, and that has led us to be a, a platform technology business. You know, we're not developing a whole linear generator product that would involve you know tens of millions of dollars, possibly hundreds of millions of dollars to get to the end of that journey. So by focusing on the platform, firstly, it makes sure that we're sort of capital efficient. But secondly, it presents some opportunities because now we can talk to uh, OEMs, to talk to manufacturers who perhaps don't want to buy in a third-party product, but who want the means to develop their own linear generator product technology. And through our platform, they can do that. And I mean, people often talk about ARM, and you know, ARM is a great success story of a technology business in the UK. Uh, the, the analogy isn't perfect, but you know, ARM developed a, uh, an architect a risk processor architecture in part because they didn't have the funding to become a chip maker to rival the likes of Intel and AMD. And you know, if they had that amount of funding, maybe the, maybe the past would have looked a bit different. But instead, they set about creating 
a risk processor architecture that became the global standard. And uh, Robin Saxby is one of our investors and he's provided some great insight as we've been thinking through how we can have that level of impact in a different space, in, you know, in the en energy uh, space, but have that to, have to aspire to have that level of impact by applying the you know, what we can, leaning into this challenge by bringing a platform technology and getting it into the hands of the companies that can, of the likes, you know, the, the, these major industrial OEMs who, who do have the ability and the motivation to spend uh, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to bring product to market, and we hope they'll choose to make linear generators. Uh, okay, so so your your path down the line, you won't have a, a manufacturing line in Sheffield knocking out uh, hundred thousand systems a year. It's more a licensing arrangement with a, a a another company who they'll do the production of it somewhere and based on your technology. Yeah. yeah, I mean, ultimately, to get into high volume manufacturing, I think the licensing model is is a, a, a good approach because it, it allows our customers to work out where in the world is the right place to to put the you know hundreds of thousands or millions of units per annum uh, and the supply chains for that. I think so far as the the lower volume uh, applications, uh, you know, the to make one off or 10 off or maybe even 100 off, uh, we have that in our mean you know, within our grasp just under the roof we have in Sheffield. Bridging between those, you know, between those two extremes, uh, that I think is going to be an interesting focus for us and for our customers over the next few years. And and who knows? I mean, that you know, there there are all sorts of different ways that could work out. Uh, but you know, we've got to make sure that we're focused initially on doing what we've said we'll do, which is going to be working with industrial OEMs to help them integrate our platform technology into their linear generator product development, and then just accelerating that path to market by any means necessary. And the question that I so want to ask you, but I know you're just going to, I almost, I can guess, when, 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 when might we see, um, you know, your products out in the field sort of uh, commercialized? Any, anything coming in terms of big announcements? <laughs> I've been comprehensively briefed not <laughs> to give big announcements yeah, yeah. off the record. But yeah, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it is really important. We, we've got to be realistic about when product is going to be in the marketplace. I mean, you know, if you're talking about uh, research and development engines, I mean, there is a product in its own right. You know, Ricardo make a, a whole family of research and development engines, and and that's something which is a relatively near-term prospect for us. Yeah. Um, in terms of when might I mean to put you know, come back to my family firm, when might our family firm have the the option of you know coming right? You know, the lease lease on a few trucks comes up, we go back to one of the manufacturers and say, yeah, show us what you got, and decide to buy a series hybrid truck with a linear generator on board. Um, you know, that's going to be before the end of this decade. I mean, I think we we have a a really clear ambition that for transport operators like my family firm, that point has to be within this decade. Because if it's not, we just blow straight through 2050. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And and last question, because I we, we're we're out of time. But um, what what is most exciting for you looking forwards to the in the future? What are you most excited about that's going to be happening in the next uh, year or so? Uh, th there's loads of things, right? I mean, you know, we we have we, we've been fortunate in getting our aim listing done at the end of last year. We're now, uh, you know, we've got our heads down. We're executing. We're getting everything done that we said we would do, uh, and with it comes all manner of opportunity. So um, we, you know, we'll we'll be. Uh, continuing the work we're doing with Marla Powertrain, and uh, we'll see more and news in connection with, with that work, of course. Um, and there are other opportunities we're also working on we can't talk about yet. Uh, but, you know, the, the future, get all the engineers in the company, we're, and we're recruiting now, we continue to recruit, we're adding about a person every month. 
uh, and that reflects the the momentum that we now have. Um, so you know we're really excited, and when we interview people, bring them into the company, we, we communicate that excitement and and talk through some of the you know some of these really interesting opportunities. Uh, that is just building. So uh, the what what really motivates me is the idea that if we're successful in what we're setting out to do, which is to help bring forward this widespread use of linear generators in all these different applications. If we're successful in that, it's just going to impact so many lives and in a really positive way, uh, not as an alternative to renewable wind and solar, but as a complement to it, accelerating this path, this path to net zero and, and just getting everyone connected to electrical power for the applications that need it. I think everyone in the company is motivated by that vision. Brilliant. Well, it, it's uh, it's been really interesting talking to you, Sam. And I mean, it's something that I didn't know much about at all. So I, we could, probably could have continued all day uh, dipping into the engineering and the technology side. I think really interesting to hear about something different to um, and, 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 you know, obviously you said complementary to battery electric and fuel cells. So thank you very much for taking the time out um, to, to talk to me today. And um, I really do wish you all the best for the future. Great stuff, Ryan. Thanks very much. Thank you.